take our Bibles and go to 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings 18. And uh, just get a little introduction for you since it's been a couple weeks since we've looked at this. Um, remember, last we looked at, we were looking in ch- chapter 17, and uh, Elijah has been in hiding for a while. And, and while he was hiding, he's seen God do great things. Now, let me back up there. He was in hiding. Why? Because King Ahab and Jezebel wanted to kill him. Okay, because he, he was a man that uh, spoke the truth of God. He told them uh, what was going to be happening. Uh, about this famine, and it's, and it's been happening, the drought has been happening, and uh, as he's been in hiding, God has just been providing for his every need the whole way, and Elijah had seen the provision for the widow of Zarephath and her son, uh, Elijah had seen the power of God on full display, as God used him to raise that widow's son from the dead, and tonight we are going to see Elijah come out of hiding, and as he comes out of hiding, Guess what? God still is leading him every single step of the way. And now he leads Elijah to come out of hiding. He leads him to do this. And as he does this, that the famous showdown between Elijah and those Baal worshippers is officially brewing and it is on the horizon. So let's go ahead and pray before we begin uh, to look into our text this evening. Dear God, we thank you for your word. We thank you so much for the Old Testament, that we can go to it, we can open it, we can read it, and we can apply it. I pray, Lord, as we look in your word, that you'll just give us what we need. And Lord, I know that there are many different needs among us tonight, but we know that you know everyone. And I pray that you'll just change our hearts and uh, help us to be helped by your word uh, this evening. And we thank you again for it. In your holy and precious name, amen. I've heard people say before that they were born in the wrong era. Or maybe born in the wrong uh, year. Maybe you feel like that, right? Uh, I actually recently heard somebody, I actually saw a friend of mine post, probably a week or so ago, uh, a picture of him and his wife, and they were out west. They were in Wyoming, and they were exploring some of the old sites that take you back to that old western culture, like the cowboy stuff, right? Uh, And he jokingly wrote on there, he said, I was born 150 years too late. And uh, again, maybe you felt like that at times. Maybe you feel like that now. Uh, Maybe you've longed to live in a non-digital age. Maybe you uh, wish that you kind of lived on the little house on the prairie days, right? Uh, Where they didn't even have flip phones, Chris, right? Uh, Or maybe you wish that you uh, could live uh, in 1800s, in the 1800s, maybe in London or something like that. Uh, and, And maybe really especially with all the things that we've seen going on in the world, especially with the recent events, Maybe uh, that has led you to desire simpler times of the past where you just say, man, I wish that I, I, I lived in a different time. And you know, at times we do feel a bit out of place because of various interests and desires and beliefs and also the circumstances of life. And this could be said of a man in our text that we are introduced to tonight in chapter 18, and that's the man named Obadiah. Now this Obadiah was not the Obadiah who was a prophet who wrote the book of Obadiah. This is a totally different Obadiah. But this man would no doubt feel out of place where he was. Because he was a godly man in a godless place. And despite seeming like he was out of place and maybe he felt like 
everything that was going on around him just wasn't right. It was not natural for him to be there. I want you to know that he was exactly where he was supposed to be and when he was supposed to be there. So tonight, we're going to learn from the life of Obadiah, what we know of him in 1 Kings, that regardless of where we are, and regardless of the era that we live in, and regardless of the depravity, and the sin, and the wickedness, and the evil all around us, we are going to see that God has placed every one of us in a very specific place for a very specific time to do a specific work. And I pray that each one of us this evening will be encouraged to allow God to use us where we are, right here and right now. And whether it's in your job, or in your family relationship, or in your season of singleness, or in your marriage, or in your valley of depression, or in your anxiety, or in your spiritual walk with God, we all need to allow God to use us where we are, and with the resources that He has given us. And Obadiah, he obeyed God where he was, and we'll see that he was used by God where he was, despite being in less than ideal circumstances. Now, I want you to listen to this, okay? A lot of times we think, well, if things start to improve in my life, then maybe I could do X, Y, and Z for God. You know, maybe you say, well, if my my circumstances in life were ideal, maybe uh, I could do what God wants me to do. But look, if if you wait until everything in your life is perfect to start being used of God, you're never going to be used by God. You're never going to do anything for God. We cannot wait until everything in life is perfect before we be obedient to God, because then we never will be. So we need to be obedient in the here and the now, right where you are. So let's go ahead and begin by digging into this. Look at verse 1 and 2. We see the brutality of the drought. The brutality of the drought. Look at verse 1. It says, And it came to pass, after many days, that the word of the Lord came to Elijah... In the third year, saying, Go, show thyself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. And Elijah went to show himself unto Ahab, and there was a sore famine in Samaria. Well, this drought that Elijah prayed for, and that, by the way, God caused to happen, it was in its third and final year. Now remember, we know from James that it lasted for three and a half years, and God who has, again, been guiding Elijah the whole way here, he gives Elijah the order uh, that really, if if it was me, it would send shivers up my spine. (laughs) He says, go show yourself to Ahab. Now, really, just think about this. God might as well have told Elijah, hey, come out of hiding and go see the man that wants to kill you and has the power to do it. I mean, Ahab was a king. He had all the power in the world that he would need to kill Elijah Uh, But despite this seeming like it was a suicide mission, Elijah trusted God, and he obeyed. And in in God sending Elijah to Ahab, I want you to understand, again, remember, Elijah was the man of God. He was the prophet. He was God's mouthpiece. He was God's spokesperson. And in Elijah being sent to Ahab by God, this is nothing less than a display of God's mercy and His grace on Ahab. And you say, well, why? Well, because God was having Elijah go to Ahab to give him an opportunity to repent. And if he would turn from his idols, if he would worship the living God, and he would turn from his evil ways, the rain would come. Now, Ahab, he was really the cause of this national judgment, but God, in his mercy, was giving him a chance to repent. 
And again, some people say, man, the God of the Old Testament is so mean and he's so cruel. No, God is merciful all through the Old Testament, all the way to the New Testament. And he's giving, Eli, uh, giving Ahab a chance to repent even here. And we're told here in verse 2 that the drought caused a sore famine in, in Samaria. So Ahab's disobedience was causing a crisis all around. And of course, after three and a half years, the Israelites would probably be very weary of this drought, wouldn't they? They'd be tired of it. They probably were tired of it after just a couple weeks. Uh, they were famished and they would no doubt be desperate. But we know that it is God that prepares the rain for the earth. It is God that sends the rain. It is God that withholds the rain. And, and Ahab should have been looking to God instead of looking to Baal. But despite God's display of mercy, this would not happen. Ahab wouldn't listen. Despite uh, the wicked depravity of Ahab, we see a very righteous man in the midst of it all in Obadiah. And this is where we get introduced to Obadiah. Let's look secondly at the boldness of Obadiah. And look at verse 3. It says, And Ahab called Obadiah, which was the governor of his house, now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. This is so interesting. Obadiah, he was a governor to Ahab's house, it says. What does that mean? That means that he was second in command next to this wicked king, Ahab. Just like Joseph was, remember in Egypt, in, in the book of Genesis? Okay, Obadiah was second in command in this evil land, under this evil kingdom. And, and yet, despite being second in command to this wicked king in a terrible place, we're told, according to the word of God, that Obadiah feared God greatly. Now you may say, well, how could this be? Obadiah must have been a compromiser. He, he must have had divided loyalties. He must not have been dedicated to God as he should have been, right? That's what some people might think. But that's wrong. Because church, look, if this is the case, and God never would have given him such high praise. That's high praise for the Bible to say, hey, this man feared God greatly. He had, he had highly, uh, very high and abundant respect for the God of heaven. And he, the Bible does not just tell us that. The Bible shows us that he proved that he had dedication to God. He was loyal to God. The following verses shows us how he feared God. Look at verse 4. For it was so, when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord, that Obadiah took an hundred prophets and hid them by fifty in a cave and fed them with bread and water. So during Ahab's reign, his wife Jezebel sought to cut off or destroy God's prophets. She wanted to kill them. So, you know, as I've mentioned before, this shows us all how evil Jezebel was. She was not a very nice lady, okay? But despite this evil intent, Obadiah, again, who was second in command, he boldly and courageously and risking his life in doing so, took a hundred prophets and hid them in caves and made sure they had daily provision. So listen, church, clearly Obadiah was loyal to God. He, he, he clearly loved God so much so that he risked his own life to save men of God in this land under Ahab and Jezebel's nose. There's no divided loyalty here. And you know what Obadiah is teaching us here is that even when we are at times under the authority of wicked people, we can still glorify God in that circumstance. 
Now consider this in your own life. The majority of you, if you are in, in the workforce, you work for an unsaved boss. Now if you don't, then you're likely at least working in the midst of unsaved people. Right? And yet, you can use your influence, you can use your witness, you can use your resources to honor and glorify God just as Obadiah did. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, you can bring glory to God regardless of how bad the enemy forces abound. Let's go to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians 3, and look at verse 22. Colossians chapter 3, and look at verse 22. It says, Servants, obey in all things your masters, according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily, as to the Lord, and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. Now, contextually speaking, this is talking about a bond servant or a slave, but this is applicable to those that are in the secular workforce uh, today, as slaves were a vast part of the economy in this time. And this is really a great passage to consider. Look, as you work... Your job, listen closely to this. As you work your job, work for the Lord. Do what you do, not for your boss, but do it for Christ. Because look, whatever the job is, whatever the task is at hand for the day, you should be looking to accomplish what you do all for the glory of God. You got, you got to give it all so that Christ can be magnified and glorified in your life. And let me say this, Christians should be the best employees in the workplace. They should be. They should not be the ones that the boss dreads coming into work. Your boss, if you're a Christian, your boss should not look at the schedule and say, Oh man, so-and-so's coming in. Oh man, I, I just dread seeing that. You know... That was my experience at times. I was a boss at Walmart for several years, and, and there was a certain people. When you saw that they were on the schedule, you were not looking forward to it. But there were certain people, when you saw that they were on the schedule, you're like, oh, man, this is good. I'm going to get a lot done today because I know this person is going to be plugged in. They're going to be working hard. They're, they're, they're going to do what needs to be done. Christian, that's what you should be. You should be that, that worker that the boss loves to see come in. You should be the best worker in your job. You ought to be the best that you can be for the Lord. And as you strive to be the best for God's glory, you can look for opportunities to shine the light of Christ in your workplace. And this is exactly what Obadiah did. He was a light in a very dark place, was he not? And in verse 24 in Colossians 3, look again. We'll just read that again. Look what it says here. And this is, this is so important to catch. Knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. What is that saying there in verse 24? It's telling us that we as Christians are promised that the Lord will reward us for our labor and for our service in the workplace. Now I want you to really get this, okay? Understand that Ahab, he was not going to reward Obadiah for what he was doing with these prophets, was he? No, he would, if, if, if Ahab found out, Obadiah would have been killed. 
So Ahab was not going to give him a pat on the back and a, a bonus for doing this. It wouldn't happen. And likewise, at your workplace, you may feel that your boss does not take notice of what you do. Now I can tell just by looking at some of your faces that, that you feel that at times, right? Your boss doesn't take notice of what you do. Uh, maybe you feel unappreciated and not fairly compensated at times for your hard work that you put in. But I say this, and I say it from experience, get used to it. There's very rarely will you find a boss that truly appreciates and does uh, love what you do and, and is thankful for what you do. But here's the thing. That should not be your motivation. Whether, whether, your whether or not your boss is grateful for you and tells you every day and gives you a bunch of bonuses, that's not your motivation uh, to, to be a good employee. And if you're saved, you need to know this. Your reward awaits you in heaven if you're working hard for the Lord. That's what this is saying. God rewards obedience and dedication to Him. So if you work, and you work hard, and you work for the glory of God, He will remember you, and your reward will be in heaven, just as Obadiah's reward would no doubt be in heaven for his dedication to God and what he was doing for these prophets. So, in this situation, we see that God had Obadiah in this particular place for a particular time, and that was for a particular reason, which was to save these prophets. And God was using the influence and position of authority that Obadiah had to preserve these prophets. And church, look, you can be encouraged knowing that God has you where you are right now in this particular time for a very particular purpose, even if it does not seem to be so. Even if it seems bleak. Well, let's go back to 1 Kings 18. Uh, 1 Kings 18. So I say all this to help us understand that Obadiah was absolutely dedicated to God. But while he was dedicated to God, we see that King Ahab was dedicated to himself and only himself. Look at 1 Kings 18 and look at verse 5. It says, And Ahab said unto Obadiah, Go into the lands, unto all the fountains of water, and unto all the brooks. Peradventure we may find grass to save the horses and the mules alive, that we lose not all the beasts. So they divided the land between them to pass throughout it. Ahab went one way himself, and Obadiah went another way by himself. So Ahab, he really already proved himself to be a self-centered and wicked man, but uh, in this passage he proves it even more. Here his nation is, without food and, and, and water, they're in the midst of a terrible drought, in the midst of a terrible famine, and he is not concerned about his people, that he is in authority over suffering. He's worried about the animals. That's what he cares about. He's like, let's go find some grass. Let's go find uh, some water for, for these animals so that we don't lose more beasts. Apparently they had, they had animals that were dying and he wanted to stop it. And while his people were suffering, he sent Obadiah and he himself went to find grass and water so his horses and his mules didn't die. And if that does not show you uh, the, the whacked out priorities that Ahab had and how evil his heart was, nothing will. Ahab was consumed with saving his animals and he had little to no regard for human life. And man, doesn't that sound familiar in our day? But though Ahab's actions in his heart was wicked... And, um, you know, he thought he was doing a good thing to keep his animals safe and everything. God, he used this to bring about a divine appointment. Look at verse 7 and 8. That's the third point. We see a divine appointment. Verse 7. It says, 
And as Obadiah was in the way, behold, Elijah met him, and he knew him, and fell on his face, and said, Art thou my lord Elijah? And he answered and said, I am, go, tell thy lord, behold, Elijah is here. Now, church, look, did you know that God does nothing by accident? We see this right here in this passage. So just, just, just consider this for a minute, okay? God used the twisted and, and evil thinking and devising of Ahab to bring about this divine appointment between Elijah and Obadiah. Think about this, okay? Obadiah just so happened to be surveying the land to feed Ahab's animals, and Elijah just so happened to be traveling in the same area. That's a coincidence, a coincidence isn't it? <laughs> no, not at all. It's not at all a coincidence. God set this up. God made this happen, and God, look, he really is like a, a conductor of an orchestra, isn't he? Just like a, a conductor guides the musicians, God is guiding people all through their life. And you may be here tonight and say, well, man, God's making my, uh, my, my uh, song a really sad song as a conductor, isn't he? Because sometimes God does that. Sometimes uh, the, the conductor's hand uh, leads the music to notes of joy and harmony, but at other times the the conductor's hand orchestrates moments of challenge and discord. But guess what? Regardless, God is in control. Proverbs 16, verse 9 tells us that a man's heart deviseth his ways, but the Lord directeth, directeth his steps. And so without knowing it here, Ahab, in his selfishness, he was actually being used by God to accomplish his will. He was being used by God to bring this meeting together. He tells, he tells Obadiah, you go one way, I'll go the other way. And God arranged this meeting. It reminds me of that verse in Proverbs 16 also, in verse 4 that says, The Lord hath made all things for himself, yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. And God can and does use wicked people to accomplish his will. And while we all make our own choices, just as Ahab did, ultimately, God, who is, again, the conductor, he determines the final masterpiece. And this situation is no different. So, as God brought these two men together, again, he did it for a purpose. Look at verse 8 again. It says in verse 8, And he answered him, <clears throat> I am, go. Tell thy Lord, behold, Elijah is here. And he said, What have I sinned, that thou wouldest deliver thy servant into the hand of Ahab to slay me? As the Lord thy God liveth, there is no nation or a kingdom, whither my Lord hath not sent to seek thee. And when they said, He is not there, he took an oath of the kingdom and nation that they found thee not. And now, thou sayest, Go tell thy Lord, Behold, Elijah is here. And it shall come to pass, as soon as I am gone from thee, that the Spirit of the Lord shall carry thee, whither I know not. And so when I come and tell Ahab, and he cannot find thee, he shall slay me. But I, thy servant, fear the Lord from my youth. Was it not told my Lord what I did when Jezebel slew the prophets of the Lord? How I hid a hundred men of the Lord's prophets by fifty in a cave and fed them with bread and water. And now thou sayest, go and tell thy Lord, behold, Elijah is here and he shall slay me. So, so look here, uh, Elijah, he asked Obadiah to go and tell Ahab that Elijah was in the land. And Obadiah, he was afraid. Because he said, look, if I go back and I tell Ahab that Elijah, that you're here in the land and then the Spirit of the Lord carries you off somewhere else, who knows where, and I, uh, I, I tell Ahab this, and then you're not there, guess what, I'm going to die. So he was fearing for his life. 
And really, I think probably any one of us would fear for our life if we had to face a guy like Ahab. But in this, we know that while Obadiah loved and feared God, in this moment, he displayed a lack of faith in the sovereign God. Elijah was God's man. The word of God had come to him and he related to Obadiah. So it was God's will and his plan to tell Ahab that Elijah was here, but Obadiah doubted. We know that really, a lot of times, fear of what's ahead because of a lack of faith in God is something that even godly people have struggled with way back in, in many, many years ago. And they do continue to struggle with that today, don't they? You think of Gideon, right? I mean, if anybody was a warrior, it was Gideon. Judges chapter 6 and 7 talks about how he doubted as God led him to fight the Midianites. But guess what? In the end, God worked it all out. We know of Moses in Exodus chapter 3, right? He doubted that God would take care of him as he stood against Pharaoh. Again, another wicked king that could kill Moses in any second. But guess what? In the end, God worked it all out. I think of Thomas. We know in the Gospels he had doubted that Christ had truly risen. But guess what? He had. So look, church, what I'm getting at here is that when God says he's going to do something, you can trust that he's going to do it. When he leads us, To do something, he will give us the tools and the ability to accomplish the task. And we can claim the truth of God's word as our own. And we can trust that he will provide wherever he guides us. Now hold your place in 1 Kings and go to Isaiah 41. Hold your place there in 1 Kings and Isaiah 41. There's many promises in the Bible that we can cling to. And this is one of them. Isaiah 41, look at verse 10. When you're worried, when you're doubting like Obadiah did, when you're struggling, remember this verse. Isaiah 41 verse 10. It says, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Again, we now we know this is primarily written to the Israelites, but we can claim this today because if you're saved, God is with you. If you're saved, He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will help you. He will uphold you. He will hold you fast. He will cling tightly to you. He will help you and He will keep you in His hand. He will never let you go. So, though at times we doubt, we don't have anything to fear. We can trust Him. But we must have faith in God. Now, Obadiah... He had to take God to his word, right? He had to listen to what Obadiah or what Elijah had to say. He had to obey him and believe that he would live. He had to choose, okay, am I going to obey God or am I going to allow fear to control me? And after Obadiah shares his concerns with Elijah, as we already read, Elijah then reassures him that he has nothing to fear. And with this assurance, Obadiah obeys. And lastly, we see faith in action. Look at, go back to 1 Kings 18. We see Obadiah's faith in action. And look at verse 15. It says, And Elijah said, As the Lord of hosts liveth, before whom I stand, I will surely show myself unto him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. So Elijah committed to show himself to Ahab. He assured Obadiah that he's not going to abandon him. Don't worry. I, I'm going to stick around. I'm going I'm to be here so that I'll see Ahab. And he gave him his word. And when he did, Obadiah obeyed. 
Obadiah trusted God and he obeyed him by faith. And church, we see in these instances from this chapter, these 16 verses, that Obadiah, he served the Lord and he obeyed him by faith. And he did so at the risk of his own life. When it came down to it, Obadiah chose to obey God rather than man. He truly did love the Lord. He genuinely was dedicated to Him. And again, we know Obadiah was in the midst of a terrible and godless place, and yet God used him because He made Himself available to him. He used him to keep those hundred prophets alive for a time. He used him to arrange this meeting between Elijah and Ahab, which again would bring about that great showdown between the Baal worshippers and Elijah. And you know what's really awesome about this church? Obadiah was not a prophet, but he was a godly man. He wasn't chosen by God to be his mouthpiece like Elijah was, but his life spoke volumes. In the life of Obadiah, you know what we learn? We learn that not everybody is called to ministry like Elijah was. Not everybody's called to be a pastor. Not everybody's called to be a missionary. And listen closely to this though. If you are, then do not forsake that call. You need to be obedient to that call. You need to answer the call and obey God. You need to go into the ministry and do what God's calling you to do. But the majority of people are like Obadiah. They are believers that are out in the world. That are loving God and fearing God and being obedient to Him. And you know what? We need those types of people. If that's you and where you are, we need you to do that. It's important. Elijah and Obadiah, they really represent two different types of God's servants. Those that are in the ministry and those that are not. And we know that there is a diversity of personalities and people and, and gifts and types of people in the, in the kingdom of God and in the local church. And this is necessary. Uh, not everybody's called to be the pastor. Not, not everybody has the same gift. Not everybody ministers in the same way. And that is completely okay. That is good. Let's go to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We all probably know the passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that talks about the spiritual gifts in the body of Christ. Uh, but look at, we'll look at a few verses here. First Corinthians chapter 12. And look at verse 4. It says in verse 4, Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. So, look, every one of us here, we have a call on our lives that God would have us do. Just like with Elijah, God calls some people to have a public ministry that is before people and at times confrontational. And just like with Obadiah, God calls some people uh, to work quietly behind the scenes. And, and look, I tell you what, I am so grateful to God that he has brought many people here uh, to, to be in Obadiah. And understand that if, if that's you, if that's what God's called you to do, then your work matters. You understand, as a pastor, I can't, I can't do all the things that need to be done in this church. If, I, if it was all up to me, then I, I, I wouldn't last very long. I can't, I can't be uh, in the nursery. And trust me, you don't want me in the nursery. <laughs> I can't be teaching junior church. And thank God for Caleb and Bridget doing a great job in there. 
and just loving on the kids. I can't be doing all that. I, I, I'm supposed to be preaching. I'm supposed to be taking care of the flock, feeding the flock. I can't do everything. And again, thank God we don't have that problem here. We have many members that are on board. But you need to be thankful and be seeking to do your best as you do what Obadiah did. Whatever it is that God's called you to do in this church... And whatever it is that God's called you to do out in the world, in your job and in your family, He calls you to do it faithfully like Obadiah did. You know, you look at what Jesus talks about. He says, you know, when we stand before God, what do we want to hear? We want to hear, well done. You know, when God, well, when Christ talked about that, He said, you know, that you're going to stand before God and, and if you do what you're supposed to do, He's going to say, well done, thou good and faithful servants. That includes everybody. It's not just for pastors. It's not that God's going to, you know, we're going to go to heaven and God's only going to say to the faithful pastors, well done, the good and faithful pastors. No, if you serve God faithfully, if you do what God has called you to do here and now and throughout your life, he will say, well done, thou good and faithful servants. Because that's what we all are to be. So we need, I just want you to recognize that every one of you is valuable in God's plan, whether you serve in a public ministry or whether you serve behind the scenes like Obadiah did. When each person fulfills their unique role faithfully, the results is really a, a complete and harm, uh, harmonious expression of God's purpose and His glory. And here's the thing. It's God that decides what gifts we get, right? It's God that decides which piece of the puzzle we are in His large picture, and we need to just allow ourselves to be used accordingly. So in conclusion here, we've really explored the faithful journey of Obadiah in this passage. And we've seen lessons that we can draw from his life. But I want to real quick, just for a few moments, bridge the gap between his story and our everyday lives. How, how do we apply this? Just kind of give you uh, some quick bullet points here. Because it's crucial that we take these lessons of Obadiah to heart and apply them in practical ways. So how can we do that? Well, again, some of this is reiterating. But for one... Allow God to use you where you are right now. Whether it's in your job or in your family or your situation or your circumstance in life, whether it's good or bad, God has placed you where you are and He desires to use you where you are. And realize that God has placed you where you are for a purpose. He's placed you where you are for a purpose. But not only that, secondly, allow God to use your resources and your influence for His purpose and His glory. That's what Obadiah did, isn't it? Here he was, second in command. He, he could have just been like, well, you know, I'm second in command in this evil land. There's nothing good that I can do. But no, he feared God. And he obeyed God. He did what he called him to do. And he was used by God to do great things. And thirdly, whenever you have to choose to be obedient to God or man, then like Obadiah, always obey God. Every single time. And fourthly, have faith that God will work all things together for, her, for his good. As we live our lives in obedience to Him. You know, we all know that verse in Romans 8, 28. That talks about how all things work together for good. It's not necessarily that, every, that all things work together for my physical well-being. And for my financial state. And for, uh, you know, my, my prosperity. No. Everything that is working out for good is for His glory. And in the end, that is what it's going to be. It's going to work out for His glory. And lastly, be faithful to the Lord in all things. Be faithful. Whatever uh, piece of the puzzle that God's made you to be, be it faithfully. Do what God's called you to do faithfully. And, and really, as we consider the remarkable faith of Obadiah, 
Remember that your life, just like his, has a unique purpose and, and a unique calling in God's grand design. So whether you find yourself in a, a prominent or behind-the-scenes role, your unwavering faith and obedience can make a huge impact on the world for eternity. And God has placed you where you are in this time and in this place, and He desires you to be obedient to Him and fulfill His purpose for your life. So regardless of what's going on in your circle, regardless of what's going on in the world, look to Him. Look to Him. You, just like Obadiah, are in the right place at the right time. And it's up to you to allow God to use you in such a time as this. So won't you do that? Won't you allow Him to use you in your job? Won't you allow Him to use you in the community and in this church? Won't you trust God's guidance and and serve Him faithfully? And if you do that, like Obadiah did, you can be a beacon of light in a godless and dark world. And... I don't know if you've noticed, but our world's getting darker and darker. We need more Christians that are shining the light of Christ to this dark world. We need to step out in faith. We need to trust in God and do everything uh, that we can through the power of God to live a life that glorifies Him in every single circumstance and in every single aspect of our life. And we, let's try to be more like Obadiah. We don't emulate Obadiah up to the point of perfection because we know we only follow Christ. He is our ultimate example. But Obadiah feared the Lord greatly, and he proved it. So let's be like that. Let's, let's be people that are, are a beacon of hope and light in this godless world, giving people the gospel, doing what we need to do for God, being faithful to the work of God. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes tonight.